Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. This week on the podcast, we're joined by Phil Cavell. Phil is the co-founder of pioneering European fit and cycling analysis studio, CycleFit, and the author of a book called The Midlife Cyclist. Before we jump into this week's show, I need to welcome a new sponsor to the Gravel Ride Podcast, Competitive Cyclist. Whether you're looking to buy a new bike that's ready to go, need expert advice, or want to customize your curve build, CompetitiveCyclist.com is your one-stop online bike shop. Now, obviously, there are lots of places to shop online, but the real difference at Competitive Cyclists are the gearheads. They're equal parts customer service, cycling fanatics. Gearheads are former pro athletes, Olympians, and seasoned cyclists with years of experience, all available via phone, email, and chat for product recommendations and hard-won advice. Last week, I wanted to experience it again for myself, so I called up Competitive Cyclist, and I got a gearhead named Maggie. Out of curiosity, I gave Maggie a brief rundown of the type of bike I was looking to buy, the type of riding I want to do, and she was able to quickly narrow down the products from a Competitive Cyclist and find a few bikes that absolutely fit the bill. A couple of the models that are available that fit my style of riding were the Ibis Haka, the Pivot Vault, and one other bike. I also mentioned that I was super excited about the way the Ridley Conzo Fast looked, for example. But Maggie was quick to point out that based on what I had told her, that I wanted a bike that was going to be great for where I lived in Marin County, a little bit of racing and a little bit of bike packing, she reminded me that that particular bike it might not do well if I wanted to do kind of adventurous bike packing, that it was probably better off for me to choose a bike with a little less aggressive geometry than that particular Ridley. And she actually introduced a bike to me, a model from Ridley that I'd never heard of before. So it was really great to just chat with her. And, you know, I know part of the journey of this entire podcast for me has been learning about different bike brands and so many questions that I had when I got into the sport. And it was just great to know that you can call a gearhead and kind of riff on what you're looking for, and they can break down the different models there available and get you onto that right bike with confidence. So whether you're looking for gravel bikes, gravel parts, or any of your cycling needs, go to competitivecyclist.com slash the gravel ride and enter promo code the gravel ride to get 15% off your full price purchase plus free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Go right now and get 15% off plus free shipping at competitivecyclist.com slash the gravel ride, entering promo code the gravel ride. With that said, let's dive right into my interview with Phil. Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you, Craig. It's great to be here. I'm excited to have this. Yeah, I suspect that you are. Let's talk just to set the stage for the listener. Let's just talk a little bit about your background as a cyclist and then also, I think your day job, not being a writer, what you do as a day job at CycleFit Studio. Yeah, sure. I used to race everything. I come from a time and a place where you didn't really just race one format. We used to race cyclocross, road, mountain bike, time trials, team time trials. I'm going back over 30 years now, but it just the team and club I was with, that's just, it was a group of people and we just rode everything. And living in London, you could race a Criterium on Tuesday at Crystal Palace, the famous Crystal Palace. And then you could do a time trial on Wednesday, and then you could do or a mountain bike race on a Wednesday. Or Thursday was a big criterium day at the 
glorious Eastway circuit. And then you do a mountain bike race or a road race on the weekend. So that was in the season. That's just the diet I grew up on. You just raced everything all the time until by the end of the season, obviously, you couldn't move or speak any muscle in your body. And so that was normal to me until I got injured and until my co-director and cycle fit founder, partner, founder got injured and then we couldn't do anything. And that's what made us interested in the subject. And so, yeah, cycle fit, we, cycle fit was born in the late 90s and sort of really came on tap in the early 2000s. So it's been going just over 20 years. Um, I, I want to dig into cycle fit a little bit, but before we jump in sure. there, I know your injury was quite serious and actually took you off the bike for a really extended period of time. I think that's really interesting just to hear it in your words. And the fact that you were able to come back to the bike is, you know, maybe news to, and some enthusiastic news to some of the listeners. Yeah, it wasn't that injury, actually. The original injury that made me interested in bike fitting was you know, 25, 30 years ago. The injury, this injury was 2011, hit a pothole and spun me over the bars. Um, very innocuous, really commuting crash, spun me over the bars and uh, ambulance picked me up and took me to hospital. And yeah, and then I had a, a, a quite a bad spine fracture there, but their feeling was it was probably an old one that I'd reactivated or and so it just got worse over it got worse and worse over the next few weeks. And I could feel it degrade. And it was, I'd missed that period in British medicine when you're treated as an emergency. And so I was almost always trying to get back into the system, but it got worse and worse until I had to have spine fusion surgery. That failed quite badly and got an infection and made things worse. And yeah, really, it was just six, seven years of just trying to find where ground, you know, the kind of base level was so I could kick off again. And every, every time I thought things couldn't get worse, they did, which was bizarre because I was working in, you know, working at my day job was helping people who were injured. And, I, and yet I was the one, ironically, that I couldn't fix myself. And, and nor could my co-director, Jules. And, you know, he felt awful because, you know, there was no fixing. And obviously, like most professionals, you know, I opt for the least, you know, you one opts for the least, you know, least invasive corrective therapy. You know, I already had one round of surgery and that didn't go great. So you're a bit gun shy for the next round. So you're trying to manage everything with physio and physical, you know, physical therapy. And of course, being in my business, I know a lot of them, very good ones. And bless them, they were all trying to help. But it was one of those situations where we, no one could help. I couldn't help. Nobody could help. And it just so I couldn't really ride at all between 2011 and 2000 and late 17, early 18. I had spine revision surgery in 2017, and it was successful. Glad Thank to you. hear that. Thank yeah. You, Craig. Yeah. What a journey. And I can only imagine how bad it was, you know, having to service athletes at CycleFit Studio. Meanwhile, not being able to, you know, enjoy the sport that's been a big part of your entire life. I remember you'd mentioned that you and your partner both had differing injuries that led you to starting this cycle fit studio. Can you just talk about that process and what philosophy you brought to fit? Yeah, I, I mean, we both had injuries, so we were sidelined from racing and it just made us, it, we came from a traditional racing background, you know, which, which was you know, you didn't really think too much about your position and didn't think too much about anything at all, or even doing other things other than just racing. We just raced and rode all the time. And then we got, when we got injured, it, it made us reevaluate everything. Um, and then we worked with Paul Swift a lot, one of your, you know, and we went uh, to Ben Serrata's classes. Ben was great. We really, you know, those early 
but Ben Schrotter classes were amazing. And then it just got us, it gave us an appetite for the subject. So we just constantly learned and trained and sought people out who could help us learn more. People like podiatrists, because podiatry for us was where a lot of the gold was buried, we thought. And, you know, I think we were right about that. You know, we just trained and learned from everybody, whether it was a hip surgeon or a podiatrist or a physio. We just kept going and so developed our philosophy from there. And the philosophy hasn't really changed. Uh, It's just changed, you know, to help us deliver the philosophy. And I guess that philosophy is that, sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, and I mean, it seems, yeah, I'd love for you to hear you summarize the philosophy and, Obviously, like the CycleFit studio grew and, and you started working with a lot of professional teams and, and individual athletes of really a big note. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the philosophy is that, that um, cycling is incredibly prescriptive. It's a very prescriptive sport. It's prescribing your ranges of movement. And that can either be good because it's prescribing good movement for you or it's, it can be bad. And it's prescribing your body to do bad things that are out of line with what you can tolerate. And so for us, it really is about anatomy. It's understanding each individual on quite a deep level and what their body wants to do and how their body wants to move and then try and express that on the bicycle. I guess that's our philosophy encapsulated that, you know, when cyclists come and say, you know, geez, I'm really uncomfortable, I'm in pain, the bike's hurting me, is don't beat yourself up. It's a very prescriptive environment. And right now the prescription's all wrong. You're being prescribed the wrong thing. And we need to know, I found out what the right prescription is. And, and for that, we need to really understand how your body wants to move and function. And then possibly part of that is even say, okay, there's things you can do yourself to make things better here. You know, no, no one's a finished project, actually. Everyone's work in progress, everybody, especially midlife athletes. Things are changing quickly. So you've got to stay on top of it. So I guess that in essence is our philosophy. Yeah, I was curious. And I mean, I think it's a good time that we move on to the book that you've written, The Midlife Cyclist. But were you seeing some of the things as you had older athletes come into cycle fit studio was, and as you were aging yourself, were you starting to see things very starkly about how the aging athlete was fitting onto a bike that led just another thread of why you wanted to write this book? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we were seeing clients come in trying to do extraordinary things and often not coming from a cycling background. And so we were, you know, it made us very curious really about you know, you try not to see everybody through the same prism. You know, we're all ex-racers or racers at CycleFit. So it's very tempting to see things through that prism. And, you know, the inspiration behind the book was, well, don't, let's not see people through that prism. Let's see, try and see people through their individual prism. My tea's just arrived. Look at that. Thank you very much, Donna. So, yeah, the idea behind the book was to really explore that subject. You know, someone doesn't come from a cycling background, they come from a rugby background or a soccer background. or And, you know, what's the best evidence and advice for them to progress as quickly as they can in the sport safely? And that ultimately is to try and hold people's hands so they can get the most out of themselves and the most out of their bikes. And the book really, the book really is a philosophy discussion about that subject, I think. Yeah, I think so it probably meets a lot of gravel riders where they're at because your statement around meeting athletes who are trying to do extraordinary things that maybe hadn't been riding their whole life to do that is commonplace in gravel. I mean, the, the tent pole events around the world can be a hundred plus miles, maybe even 200 miles in the case of unbound out in Kansas, these events that people read about and think, Oh, I'm just going to go out and do that because gravel is so inviting. But the idea of coming off of a, even just a solid fitness background and riding 200 miles off road, quite a tall order. 
Yeah, that, that's right. And and I think it's beholden everybody who wants to do that kind of event to really understand what they're demanding of their body. What systems are they going to be stressing? Which systems should they be fueling through? It's not just it's just not enough to get yourself fit or to keep pushing up your FTP. Because a, net, a high FTP isn't necessarily going to get you through a transcontinental ride or some of these great big events. It's just not. You know, you need to be working in an oxidative, efficient state. And that requires specific training. And a lot of us amateurs, certainly midlife athletes who are coming to the sport late are trying to catch up all the time. They're trying to cram their homework. It's, it won't work. You know, you, you know, you've got to, you've, I think I say in the book, you've, you know, you've got to put some foundations down before you can move into the penthouse. You know, and if you don't do that, you know, you know, you are not going to perform at your best. And so you've got to almost slow down to go fast. Even me, you know, I come from a racing background, race for decades. But if I was going to go and do one of these events and I absolutely want to go and do the transcontinental or something like that, just absolutely speaks to me. I would completely change the way I ride. You know, I absolutely would. You know, I'm by nature, I'm a crit rider, you know, like a all fast short distance 45 minutes or an hour and i'm all gone if i was going to do the transcontinental i would totally change the way i ride totally you know you've got to start fueling different systems yeah you know it's Sorry, interesting now it's interesting to hear your perspective on this stuff obviously that's why i invited you on on the podcast you know i to that vein you know it wasn't i spent a little bit of time in my life as a as an amateur road racer and then I did a bike tour and I realized as I strapped those bags on my road bike, the day was going to be different. I wasn't going to be sprinting out of the blocks. Yeah. It was going to yeah. be a long day with a lot of weight on the bike. And it really was instrumental in shifting my mentality around what would eventually in my life become a passion around these endur long endurance events. And it is to your yeah. point, you just have to think about it entirely differently than an hour-long criterium. That's right. And I remember once Jules signed me up for the f first ever adapter tour. And, you know, I, I, I didn't even know what it was, frankly. And Jules is, Jules is a, my co-director. Is a, He's a very intelligent, um, very disciplined rider and trainer, always a much better trainer than I was. And, but I was his lead-out man, I, and he was, a, you know, he was a very good sprinter. And he signed me up for this event. I'm like, oh, okay, so we'll do it. So we went out to the adapter tour. I had no idea what it was, no idea what it was. And I got there. And we started. I still didn't really know what it was. I didn't even know where it went. I honestly didn't know where it went or what climbs it went over. It seems madness now, but it's a long time ago. But anyway, it started. And uh, I thought, oh, great, race. You know, let's go. Get, into, get my race head on and off we go. I was in the front group to start with. I mean, the first hour and 10 minutes, I was literally in the front group. There's a group of us and I'm going through and off. And it's and an hour and 10 minutes hit. And that's my normal distance. And I'm gone. I'm done. I'm just like, blow my biscuits. That's it. Lights went out. Afterburners off shut down at which point jules came up next to me about on this climb and said oh you worn out old labrador look at you he's like i'm sorry jules i'd completely blown my biscuits and i had that five hours left yeah a very expensive education crazy <laughs> for sure you know i have to say you know I, I mentioned that i felt like this book hit me at the exact right time you know, I've been suffering the last few years with some lower back issues and felt, you know, this was the year I was really going to change my mentality about riding. And, you know, I had been one of those ride five days a week. That's what riding is yeah. all about kind of athletes. And I knew I needed to make some changes when I was reading through maybe the first third of this book, and maybe it was chapter three in particular, I, w I was started to think, oh my God, there's, 
you know, I'm probably fortunate that it's only my back that's hurting because it could be my knees, it could be my IT band, it could be my hip. And I started to get into this doom and gloom mentality. So I was super happy when it started to come around in chapter four and say, you know, the midlife cyclist, it is possible to still go fast and achieve these major milestone events in your life, but the mentality needs to shift. So it'd be interesting to just talk about some of the elements of the mentality that needs to shift and how we can think about you know, riding late into... Yeah, and I'm sorry. Some people have reacted to the book and said, look, you know, I find the book a little bit, you know, I find it a bit... Chapter three, you know, is tough. And some of it, I think, is, you know, you're just a bad news bear. You just, you know, it's relentlessly bad news. And I don't... I just don't intend it like that. I just think the book, to me, is like, go into this with your eyes open. There's no point in being Peter Pan about this. Understand the constraints. Understand the challenges. And once you understand the challenges and the constraints, have a strategy. You know, and then you can do the best you can do to go into this. You know, there's no point. I didn't want to write a book that was just a training manual, ignoring the fact that, you know, in in any other century, you'd be dead. You know, 51, 52 years old. How old are you? I'm nearly 60. So 51, 51 in any other century, Craig, you wouldn't be alive, you know, unless you were kind of royalty. It's just as simple as that. You know, it's you know, we need to we need that kind of leveling moment. It's like, okay. In 300,000 generations of biped, every one of them would be dead by now. But not only am I alive, but I want to train and, and act like an Olympic athlete. Okay, all of that's great. I love it. Understand the challenges, you know. And this is people my age and your age trying to push their bodies hard is a very recent event in human history. <laughs> so I think it, it's beholden all of us to understand that. And then understand what's happening to our bodies as we do this and challenge our bodies in these ways. Not because I think it, not because I think we shouldn't be doing it, not because I'm trying to be depressing, but because I think the goal is buried in understanding. Yeah. And I think by the end of the book, that comes absolutely shining through. And that chapter three is a distant memory. And I was more on the, gosh, I just need to do the things that I need to do correctly. I need to think about my cycling career differently at this point. And there was a bunch of things in the book that were put out there in a way that sort of makes you think about it. One that I'll highlight that is, I think for a lot of gravel athletes, maybe it's top of mind these days, just because of some of the athletes we follow, just the idea of recovery. And you've got products like whoop out there talking about HRV. And and there's obviously a number of other ways you can get that, that, that stat out of your body. But if you could talk a little bit about recovery and maybe alongside that overtraining syndrome, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, cyclists seem to be born with a great work ethic. And it's, you know, and if, you know, and it's, you know, we're made mad by miles. We just, you know, we're mile hungry. And if in doubt, put more miles under your belt. You know, I, I come from that background. You know, the old generation that I come from was like, you know, it's all miles. It's all miles under the saddle, you know. And that's partly true. When you get to our age, my age, I'm older than you. It's also true to say that you need to respect your body more and you need to rest more. You need to recover more. Remember that you get fit, not when you're training, but when you're recovering. You know, what you do is you have a you introduce a a stress to your body, a training dose to your body. And that stimulates something on on a cellular level. And then you need to super compensate and your body then gets stronger to adapt to the stress you you put your body under. So you're actually getting, you're actually gaining fitness, not when you're training, but in the super compensation stage. Now, everyone knows that, 
but cyclists we seem to you know we never we don't allow our body to go into the super compensation stage and, and rest and when you get to my age and to degree your age you just need to have be more conscious of not just the amount of rest but the quality of rest sleep is absolutely gold dust to you know to our generation really because that's when all the good work gets done and if you're in any doubt at all about as to whether you should train i wouldn't necessarily use heart rate which is our old gold standard you'd take your pulse if you know and you'd say okay i'm at 45 i'm good to go or 50 good to go you know a lot of a lot of endurance athletes have bradycardia which is slow heart rate so a better way to look at it is HRV, heart rate variation, which is the beat-to-beat chain. And that gives you an, a better metric to work with as to whether you're fully rested and should train, or in fact, you're still tired and you've got inflammation in your body possibly, or you're fighting something and you probably are best served to rest. Not best served to rest in health, but, well, certainly that is true, but best health, best to rest for performance. And because training when you're tired really has no benefit. It just doesn't have any benefit, certainly at our age. You know, you want to be fizzing with energy when you train. You want to be, go out there and think, oh, I just can't wait to do this. That's the mindset you need, I believe, post 50 to train properly. It's super interesting. And I think, you know, recovery has been something I, I've been focused on a lot more this year. And just my understanding of it, you know, the HRV number, it's just this quantifiable metric that you can look at. Some days, to be honest, I feel like I have the mentality to go out and, and thrash myself when I have a low HRV number. And I, you know, it takes a bit of, discipline to dial myself back and not go after it or take the day off. But I think it's just layering on something very simple and a very important reminder, particularly for older athletes, about the importance of recovery. Yeah. And I think it's also it's a sign of a mature athlete if they go out and and Jules was talking to me the other day. He went out for a ride um, and turned back. You know, he went out for a ride and said, you know, I just didn't feel right. Turned back, you know, got 20K in and went, you know what, this isn't going anywhere and turned back and went home and got cold the next day. And you know, had he stayed out for his three to four hours he was planned and got cold and wet and really worked hard, you know, at his age, which is two years younger than me, that would have been more, you know, more damaging as it was. He could shrug it off. So it's mature and sensible. Go out and you think, you know what? I'm not as sharp as I should be here. Now, if you're 25, crack on, sure. You know, stop for a few beers. It doesn't matter. You know, you can do all that stuff. But post 45, 50, 60, yeah, you can't. You know, you can't because that stuff embeds in, you know, that's a layer of inflammation in there that you don't need. And we've just recently had a a coach on talking about just the need to control the things you can control when you're out there in these gravel events. And I think it's even more heightened for an older athlete just to make sure you don't do something silly, not hydrating or not getting the right nutrition in your body, not getting a good right rest. Because as you said, we could all do that in our 20s and 30s. But in our 40s and 50s and 60s, it's just going to have dire repercussions. Yeah, and I remember being at a mountain bike race. I think it was in Scotland years and years ago, probably 30 years ago, 25 years ago. And in the tent next door, you know, or the camp, little campsite next door, they were having a party. They were drinking. They were absolutely, completely blasted. And then they weren't in our race. but And then I, I remember coming back to the tent later after we'd finished our race. And the kid who in the morning was vomiting over his tent because he was drunk in the morning still, won his race. Do you know what I mean? I remember talking to him, you won your race. You know, I was probably 30 at the time and he was probably 18. He's like, yeah, yeah, I won it, yeah. And that his preparation was getting completely drunk, staying up all night and then vomiting over his tent. Now, <laughs> try that at 50. Just try that at 50. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? That isn't going to work. And that doesn't mean that was a good strategy. It just means he got away with it at 18. <laughs> 
I'm not sure that I'm not sure how that anecdote helps anybody anyway. <laughs> yeah, if anybody does take that challenge on at 50, please send us a note after the fact. Yeah, yeah post a video. Like, <laughs> so chapter yeah. five, you go into bikes, bike fit, and biomechanics. And I'm curious. Yeah. I know you mentioned offline that you're you're passionate gravel cyclist at this point. You know, how have you seen bike fit change? relative to the equipment that's coming out for gravel bikes these days and the aging athlete? Yeah, it's a good question. I just think it's a marvelous time. I think a lot of older athletes my age and are embracing gravel because it means they get a bike now that, you know, they don't have to have, you know, their ass in the air and, you know, hands around by their knees. They can get a sensible bike that can do lots of different jobs. It can be a road bike, it can be, a, you know, and so they, they're taking a more sensible approach to their cycling. They generally, once they've tried having a bit more rubber on the road or on the trail, they don't go back to riding a 23 and, you know, or a 25. They, they, the minimum becomes a 28 or a 32. So I think they're taking a much more pragmatic and I would say reassuring route through their cycling career. And it makes me much happier. I always, you know, when a client walks out with a bike with a, 32 road tire or 28 right so yeah you, you, it's good well done you know because it's you, you've got more grip there you've got more comfort you've got more control you've got more safety margin so i just think it's been a really i think the whole gravel movement has been a altogether very positive i have to say for my clients for bike design and of course it's all been liberated by disc brakes isn't it i mean seven was doing this a long time ago one way or another but i mean you know as were other manufacturers but this has all been bought alive by the advent of disc brakes isn't it you know and allowing the to frame design and more freedom. Yeah, hundred percent. When you look at some of your professional athletes on the road that you work with, are you seeing like some of these elements of a little bit more comfort, or are we still looking at these, you know, flat backs and high seats and long stems for the road athletes, or are there actual like performance benefits that can be gained by pulling that back a little bit and making them a bit more relaxed? Yeah. I- I don't, I'd like to say I did see a bit of the latter. And I think some, yeah, some of the pros, the younger ones, you know, they, you know, look at, look at Tom Pidcock. I mean, he comes from the cyclocross background, mountain bike background. You know, it's not, it's never too, I don't, you know, he, you know, he has that background. You know, I'm not saying that his road position isn't aggressive, but there's a good chance that, you know, he's going to have some, you know, he's going to have some smarts about him when he sets up his road bike. Which we, you know, I, I don't see necessarily that they are setting their road bikes right road bikes up any different but they all do ride gravel they've all got gravel bikes you know one hopes that at some point they're, they're going to take some you know some calib- recalibration by osmosis between the two two formats certainly my amateur clients you know they're, they're now becoming category sensitive you know they you know they're no longer they're no longer seeing these pigeonholes they just you know they, they're just getting bikes that work for a number of different environments uh, and i think that's brilliant and i love that yeah uh, the other thing that's been talked about this book was, and I heard you speaking on another podcast and referencing that you didn't think people were going to hang their hats on it as much as they have, but just this notion that amateur athletes are riding much closer to their threshold than professional athletes are on a weekly and monthly basis. Yeah, that, yes, that, the, the podcast, oh, was that, um, was that, that John Lewis's? Yeah, the oh. Pace Line podcast, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's been picked up on a lot that, I mean, the thing is data doesn't lie. You know, the fact is that amateur athletes tend to spend more of their time as a proportion closer to the red line and professionals per year. So we're 50 years of old, 50 years of age. 
you know, in any other century, we'd be dead. But there we are, you know, literally thrashing our bodies to destruction. Not literally, but, you know, metaphorically, compared to professional riders. So they're riding at 60-something percent, and we're riding 80% of our potential. You know, one has to think, well, is that sensible? And the, and the book really is trying to answer that, you know, is that sensible, rational, sustainable? And, you know, and, it, it, and it, it, what it means is that professional cyclists are more ordered and structured in the way that they ride and train more cognizant of what they should be doing we tend to ride in this kind of mid sort of mid wodge the whole time you know we're our hard bits are not hard enough and our easy bits are too easy we sort of just ride in this kind of what john baker calls whirlwind of doom you know we're just and, and i can recognize that in myself you know decades gone past i can recognize that you know i'm riding in that kind of just in that uncomfortable zone all the time it resonated with me for sure only because as i mentioned offline you know i live in a little bit of a hilly place and i prefer to ride almost exclusively off-road so i i do find myself grinding like a diesel engine up these hills never particularly having a super easy day and but never really doing anything that would resemble an interval either yeah and 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 that's right and and i've worked with so many professional athletes and amateurs and when they're forced to take things easy you know for injury or illness they always come back stronger it's like they come back like renewed and rejuvenated it's like, yes because your body's been desperate for this for so long and yeah and i think that's absolutely right whereas now i actually literally make myself ride really easy oh my god this is just lovely i can feel my body's rejuvenating as i ride and then if i want to have a little pop and go a bit hard i do i definitely never ride hard unless i want to ever it, you know, I, uh, I use that rule for myself. Unless I'm fizzing with energy and really want to ride hard, I don't. Yeah. You know, and the rest yeah. of the time, I just knock it back a couple of gears. I know that I'm building mitochondria. I'm working my oxidative system. It's all good for me. The other thing that I picked up was just this notion of getting your head around dropping a cycling workout, picking up a strength training workout or a stand-up paddleboard session in your week. And again, with this holistic idea that it's actually going to make you a faster cyclist. Yeah, and I think that's right. You've got to take one step back, take two steps forward as a midlife athlete because, yeah, cycling will do nothing for bone density or bone minerality. It'll do nothing for sarcopenia or muscle loss. It'll do nothing really for flexibility. There's so much of the, you know, it'll do nothing for balance, really. There's so much of your potential that's not being challenged by cycling and not being developed. So you're not, build, you're not building resilience in your chassis. If you want to build resilience in your chassis, you've got to put the bike aside for a session and do other things, and that will make you faster. It's a, it's a tall – I'm just going to mix my metaphors. It's a big pill to swallow, that one. Totally. Sorry. It very much is. And I, I struggled with that a little bit myself, but I realized it to be 100% true. Like I need to do these different things in order to be successful. And it's been an exploration. I've got a future podcast guest just – talking about why we need to do that and i think it's critically important yeah and i had an athlete in the in in cycle today very good athlete you know was he 47 48 incredibly strong very powerful doing big events he's doing that event where they ride tour stages you know back to back yeah. tour stages before the tour or whatever and you know i did a single leg partial single leg squat with him and he couldn't do a partial single leg squat you know what you know, that's a pretty simple thing to do, a partial single as squat, you know, and he couldn't do it. Yeah. And I see that a lot. It's not, it's not a new, that's not, un, it's not atypical. You know, see it a lot, you know, where you've got super fit people and they can't do simple things, you know? 
Yeah, no, I think that's so true. And I remember maybe in my 40s patting myself on the back that I'd selected a sport that you can ride, you know, you can ride a bike your entire life. But I didn't realize at the time that, yes, you can, but you're going to need to do other things to support that goal. Yeah, that's right. And we've all heard stories where you've got a friend or a colleague and they're, you know, midlife cyclists and they have an accident, which is quite innocuous and the damage is more, you know, more than you one would expect. And, you know, then they have a DEXA scan or, you know, looks, which looks, you know, at the sort of bone minerality and, and it's low. They're what's called osteopenic or osteoporotic. And it's because all they've done is cycle all their lives and not done anything off the bike whatsoever. And now they've got a bone density issue, you know. You know, if we're going to build resilience in the chassis, one of the things we need to look at is bone minerality, bone density. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. The book is great. I really enjoyed it. As I said, hit me at the right time. I hope for those listeners, like if you're late 30s, early 40s, get on this book earlier rather than later. Because at 50, I've got some catching up to do. I'm committed to the cause because I want to see everybody out there on the gravel events in 2022. So, Phil, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for writing this book and putting such good work out there in the world. You're so welcome, Craig. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Have a great weekend. Cheers. Big thanks to Phil for joining the show this week. I hope you all go out there and take a look at the Midlife Cyclist book. Whether you're a midlife cyclist yourself, approaching midlife, or otherwise, I think there's a lot of value in understanding what our bodies are going to go through as midlife cyclists. I know this is something that I wish I was more attuned to as a younger lad. I think I would be in a lot better shape today. And another big thanks to Competitive Cyclists for joining us as a sponsor this week and the coming weeks. Be sure to visit competitivecyclist.com slash the gravel ride and enter promo code the gravel ride to get 15% off your full price purchase and free shipping on orders of over $50. Some exclusions apply as they always do. Thanks for spending a little bit of your week with me this week. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.